Thanks, thanks team for clearing that up. That was really, really cool. Um, Lee Hickmont today wasn't supposed to be on drums, um, but he got called in late last night. But it's actually his birthday today. Oh, he's getting all tired. Happy birthday, buddy. Um, yeah, um, this morning we're getting into... Oh, we do have slides. Woo! <laughs> Uh, we're getting into, um, well, it's actually part 10 of our series on Warren of Fitness. For those of you who are visiting us this morning, um, Warren of Fitness is something that we've been running now for 10 weeks. Just a bit of an internal review on each other, on ourselves before God. What's happening? What's going on? What's going on within us? How is our relationship with God and with others? And today we're hitting on shocks. That was a great uh, Grant Malloy driving skills, huh? Man, that guy's good. I've, I've watched that, in, you know, because I slowed it up on the video a little bit, but going through, I'm like, man, how does he keep it all on the road? And sometimes, to be honest, life feels like that, doesn't it? <laughs> there was no road. Uh, somebody tried to keep up with him. I won't tell him who, but he was way behind. <laughs> um, sometimes life feels a bit like that, right? Where everything's bouncing around and you're holding on for dear life. You feel like it's out of control. You get through one thing and next thing you know, another dip, another bump, another, you know, and you're just like, what is going on? And so the challenge that we've got this morning is how are you handling the bumps in your life? How are your shock absorbers? I can tell you mine are completely shocked. It's been a horrendous time, hasn't it? You know, I think they need to be changed. <laughs> you can only imagine how difficult it has been for many of us. And sometimes it's grief, sometimes it's practical, pragmatic, it's work, it's loss, it's hurt, it's pain. We're a bit bumped around. This morning, I'm actually going to focus on one verse though I'll be unpacking other things in that process. But I want to focus on the shortest verse. Anyone know what that is? Jesus wept. Leading up to it. Um, well, I don't know if I've, I think it might have been about five or six years ago, I did a series on Job. And I started the series with this cartoon. Um, it was a dark and stormy night, which was made famous. And if you can read that, 
for those of you on the podcast, it says it's a dark and stormy night as Snoopy's typing away. And what's the other guy's name? Linus. Sorry, I'm not a big Snoopy guy, but your new novel is an exciting beginning. Well, thank you. Good luck with the second sentence. It feels a bit like that, doesn't it? You, you, there's a foreboding around a dark and stormy night. And the foreboding is, I don't want to read the next part, especially if that's a story about us. If we are the ones in that dark and stormy night, we really just want to see the light of day come very quickly. We don't want to really read the next line. Jesus, as he was making his way to Jerusalem, um, he came across his old friends, Mary and Martha. But in that time that he had been away, Lazarus had died. And so as he was making his way to Jerusalem, he was stopping by and he was dead. He had died. And there was a lot of mourning. There was a lot of grief. And the story starts here. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's interesting. Mary didn't even, couldn't even conceive the fact that Jesus could resurrect Lazarus. It wasn't even in her mind. She was upset that he wasn't there, that he could have healed him, stopped him from dying. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest verse, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Why would he have to weep? Here is the Word, the Word made flesh, the Word who was with God, who was God, who made the universe. Here is the Word, and he is weeping, for a friend has died. He is weeping, and he is disturbed, moved to his spirit by the grief of those around him. If any one of us were put in his position in that time, how would we respond? I can tell you how we would respond. The way we normally respond when we're confronted by grief. Oh, it's all good. They're in heaven. Think of the hope. In this case, don't worry. I'm going to resurrect him. He's fine. Get over yourselves. Get the table set because I'll go get him for you. He could have done that. His next step is to go resurrect him. He knows the guy's not going to be in that tomb for long. He knows that they're not going to be weeping for long. But he can't help himself. The word made flesh, weeped. Didn't cry, he weeped. Grief is something we, as Christians, should have the corner market on. For if our God weeps with those who are weeping, so do we. If our God grieves with those who grieve, we also. There is no get over it. There is no, hey, come on, there's the hope of the next life. We'll see him again. No. In Isaiah, 
53.4, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. The problem with that verse is we throw that to the cross. But Jesus wept shows us a different meaning to this verse. That he is with us in our griefs. He carries our sorrows. He walks like, it stirs him. It troubles him to see us grieving. He is not a God that stands apart and says, hey, you're coming to heaven, so just get over it. Come on, toughen up. And we have trained a generation of men in particular not to cry, not to grieve. And yet our God leads by example. It's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. It's okay to bawl. But unfortunately... Some of us have taken Paul's comments in 1 Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That's almost like we've used that as a license not to grieve, to get over ourselves. That's not what Paul's saying. Even with hope, there is hurt. Even with hope, there is grief. Even with hope, there is sorrow. He's not negating grief with this verse. He's not ignoring the sorrow and the pain. He's highlighting that, hey, at least we have hope. We have hope. That doesn't stop the grief. It doesn't even at times stop the bitterness. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, it's sad that sometimes I have to go outside of our Christian circles. And I know there are actually some really good writers out there who have some really good things to say about this. But this one caught my mind uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Nick Cave, when his son died a number of years ago, he started this thing called Red Hand Files. It was a, a cathartic way of him dealing with his grief. And so what he did was he told his fans, he said, look, ask me any question you want, I will answer them. And he ended up doing a whole tour on it. The tour was part song, part answering questions. And he's been doing it now for a number of years. And uh, I get it in my inbox. And about two weeks ago, this question came up from a guy named Kevin in Belfast. He said, I lost my dad a few years ago in somewhat traumatic circumstances. I still feel him here with me, but sometimes it's just a bit too much and it makes me break down, even five years after the fact. Do you have any advice on how to heal from this? And so Nick responds like this. Dear Kevin, things are sometimes sad. That's the truth of it. You see a movie and you're unexpectedly mauled by it or you hear a song on the car radio and you have to pull over to the side of the road, or you see a photograph that just floors you, or you wake from a dream and find that here you are, it's early morning, the room feels replete with spirits, and you're breaking down again. We each have our reserves of sorrow that rise to the surface, provoked by one little thing or another, to remind us that we are human and that we love and that we are part of a great human story that flows from the ancient waterways of our collected and historical griefs. This breaking down is not something from which we need to be saved or cured. It signals, Kevin, not just your implicit existential participation, 
but that you really just loved your dad. And it's sad he's not around. And that, my friend, is not a feeling from which you need to be healed. In fact, quite the opposite. All of us, as contributors to the human enterprise, reserve the right indefinitely to capsize on occasion in the name of those we loved and lost. And I'll add to that even more. The grief is not just from losing people, it's losing yourself at times. It's from, from the poor decisions you might have made in the past or the hurts you might have felt. From, the, from what people have done to you or what you've done to yourself. From things that have been torn away from you. We have a, we have a God that weeps. We have a God that weeps. He doesn't tell us to just get over it. He doesn't tell us to just cast it aside. Your hope is for tomorrow. In the here and now, he weeps with us. Anyone heard of retribution theology? It's, it's a piece of work. Basically, it's this idea that if we do something bad, God will punish us for it. But there's something a little bit more sinister to it. And that sinister thing is, is it's not only when we do something bad we get punished, but if something bad does happen to us, that means we've done something wrong and we're being punished. Right? And it's so ingrained in humanity. Because we don't teach this thing anymore, but yet we all kind of feel it. If we're going through a rough patch, what do we feel? That we've done something wrong? Why is this happening to me? What, what's going on here? Why am I feeling this way? Why, where is God? And our shock absorbers get really squished at that point. And we feel every bump. We feel everything. The car doesn't handle itself well, right? We have this ingrained within us. Which is why I want to just touch on the book of Job. Just touch on it. I'm not going to give you the whole breakdown, but I'm going to break it down into three very important points. If you just want a five-minute synopsis of what the book of Job is about, let me tell you this. First of all, he is innocent of any wrongdoing. Job hasn't done anything wrong, and yet he goes through hell. And it's not just a normal hell. It's a special kind of hell this guy goes through. Just read the first two chapters. This poor guy. But he hasn't done anything wrong. Not only has he not done anything wrong, it's not like he's on trial or anything. And not only that, he's completely ignorant of what's going on outside of his own space. And so this poor guy is grieving. There's a point in chapter 2, verse 9, where I think I've got the verse up here. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He is literally sitting in the ashes. He's lost everything. He's lost his home, his fortune. He's lost his children. And he's sitting with boils all over him and broken pieces of pottery to scrape the boils. He's sitting there and his wife says to him, are you still holding your head up to God? Curse him and die. And his response doesn't necessarily eliminate the pain. 
His response doesn't necessarily make things better. He says this, should we just accept good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? And earlier he states, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I don't share those kind words with God when I'm in his space or even close to his space. Do you? The challenge that Job lays before us is this one thing, and this is where your shock absorbers come into play. It's faith. It's this little seed called faith. And like I said, choosing faith doesn't necessarily eliminate the pain. It doesn't eliminate the questions. Anyone who wants to give you a pet answer to why you're suffering Rebuke them. Because the, there is no answer sometimes. We, we don't know. Faith doesn't eliminate the pain. Faith doesn't eliminate the questions. I mean, look at what David had to go through. David, who himself had a lot of bumps in the road, he said this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? This is the king of Israel. Wrote the largest book in the Bible, or most of it. And here he's struggling. His shock absorbers are not working well. He has no answers. But you see in every psalm that he struggles with, every psalm that begins with, where are you, Lord? The seed of faith doesn't answer the questions doesn't necessarily eliminate the pain and won't make it logical. It won't. It's a question that we've wrestled all, not just my lifetime or your lifetime, all of history. Why God? We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus wept. We do know that the God of the universe who came in flesh, didn't push our pain aside, didn't tell us to get over it, didn't throw it away, negate it. He wept with us. The creator of the universe wept with us. Even though he knew there would be a resurrection, even though he knows there's a heaven to come, even though he knows that things will get better, he knows, but it doesn't stop him from weeping with us. Amen to that. And that's the seed of our faith. Those are the, is it air that they put in the shop? Because I don't know what they put in the shop. What is it that, that makes them? Thank you, baby. I told you she's better than me with cars than I am. There's a big spring in there. That's faith. And sometimes it feels like that springs up. It's okay. Know that Jesus weeps with you, that you are not alone in this. I, I, I'm stopping it here, but there's a whole bunch of verses that talk about how we deal with this, how, how do we handle our grief, how do we deal with 
brokenness? How do we deal with hurt and loss with people who are hurting? Whether it's from losing a loved one, whether it's from their own pain, their own suffering, whether it's depression or anxiety or, or just not knowing what my purpose is. And the Bible is clear. Carry each other's burdens. Walk alongside each other. Bear with each other. The Bible's so clear about this. Don't leave each other hanging. Don't let the grieving grieve alone. And don't come up with all these answers. When you see them grieving, just grieve with them. Jesus had no answers for Mary when she came to him. She didn't. He couldn't tell her, it's okay, honey, you'll be fine. He just wept. And sometimes just knowing that there is someone beside you who will allow you to cry and snot in the whole thing. The church. Jesus, his body. I ask our music team to set themselves back up here. And I want to challenge you this morning because I know some of you are grieving. You are holding on. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be crying about it. It's okay to be a mess about it. It's okay to be broken over it. Jesus weeps with you. And we, his body, weep with you. Amen to that? Father God, I pray and lift up those in this room here and now who may have grief, loss, hurt, pain. Forgive us that we may have not been those who have stood beside them, who have wept with them, Lord. But Father God, may they hear your word this morning that you are the comforter. You are the God of the universe who cares about us and walks alongside, weeps with us. Comfort their hearts, we pray, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Rather than being the arrogant, coming in, setting everything right, you stopped and you wept, wept with them. You understood and saw their grief and it hurt you. It troubled you. Thank you, Jesus.